For the faint crowd, don't know when to keep Try to cut it, I'm a strange flower Growing out the creek, know the job If it came foul, come without receipts Be your hustle when your brain's mine I hold the D, I can fumble on a game shot I mean struggle when your pain mine I know my team, I wear your number when it's game time Uh, we are back, and uh, this week we are the max of no trades. Quentin, how you doing tonight? I'm good. Um, in both of my favorite hobbies, which are wrestling and battle rap, um, both things are in complete shambles currently, yes. and it's it's just a great time. Just a just a great time. I am enjoying how my Twitter feed looks right now from a pure <laughs> chaos standpoint. So I'm having a very entertaining night. <laughs> yeah. Um, we pushed, I mean, yeah, we pushed the show back a little bit because we wanted to, you know, be able to talk about the most important return in wrestling, uh, Roderick Strong coming back to the Indies, um, which I was at live and enjoyed quite a bit. But, uh, but obviously the name of the episode is about another important thing that happened that we wouldn't have, talked about if we hadn't uh pushed back which is ac mac stepping away from wrestling he says doesn't want to say retiring um you know we both have talked about him quite a bit extensively over the years i think i've i've always been higher on him than i think a lot of people i think i think you're you relatively high on ac mac correct uh yeah not yeah, not, not, not not as not as high as you but like compared to like some people who like just think he's like a bad wrestler and something. I'm definitely not definitely not there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a guy that I hate to see go, but I don't know if you saw his his kind of stepping away speech that he gave in action, but uh definitely his his explanation, his reasoning was I definitely was something that I could relate to because it's realistically the same way that I felt when I stopped doing comedy, which is just saying like uh, you know, don't have the passion, don't want to be taking a spot that somebody else could have that actually does care more than me. You know what I mean? Um, so so definitely can relate and understand where he's coming from with that. But it is a bummer to see because it is kind of... There was that time period. I mean, he got a tryout on NXT. He seemed like he would fit right in there at the time. And nothing came of that. And started getting some bookings here and there. Had the IWTV title or IWTV title run and felt like something was going to come together for the guy. Um, just it's one of those things. It's really difficult to catch lightning in a bottle. And, and if he could be 
the exact same AC Mac that you saw in action, just in every other you know setting. I think he would have been a you know he could have been a top level star, um, but you just this like I said can't always catch lightning in a bottle. But uh, yeah, you know, shout out a guy like I said we talked about a ton his history with Daniel Makabe, a guy that we perennially talk about was always a ton of fun. Those two were really great rivals against each other in the SCI setting. So. It's uh, it's just a bummer to see him step away, but but it's also nice that he's doing it on his own terms, as he said. Mm, and it leaves a legacy being like one of the most like decorated guys from the southeastern uh, region for wrestling, and like even like a short amount of time was just clearly someone that was viewed with like a lot of potential and was put in big spots early on and delivered in all those ways, and like you would have expected something to maybe take form and it just didn't and sometimes sometimes it's just how things go in industries where you have these dreams and aspirations and it might not might not take though that you thought it would and it can be hard after that to keep that same passion or interest once you feel like you have a not to speak for maybe if you like see that you had a window and that that window is gone and now you're just kind of in a weird place emotionally and mentally because of it so all the best to him and like he leaves having like a really good like set like six six ish year run of going from like a top prospect in the southeast to being someone that was taking his act all over the all over the place and getting over and was a known commodity on the indie scene and he he, he just he leaves a really really good impact on the scene i think the southeastern scene is better with AC with AC Mac having stepped through it, it is uh, yeah yeah like, like he he was he was a big help into creating like a new generation a new space for southeastern southeastern wrestling. Yeah, and not just you know you couldn't not tell by you know you wouldn't you can tell by looking at him he's you know a black man right but you didn't necessarily know that he was gay and he never was. It was never part of his character. He was never a gay wrestler. But I even remember when. Like the way that I I found out, which like you know was just I saw him get announced for a New York show that wasn't going to stream, wasn't going to be seen in a very very small indie that wrestled, um you know in New York area or the Northeast that was like a Pride wrestling event that you know advertised itself as like a all gay wrestling show and they announced AC Mac on it and I I actually contacted someone who I knew who I know knows him personally and was like wait AC is is you know is he gay or what's the deal here you know not like oh god what's the deal but just wondering i was like oh that's interesting like never and even the person who i said like knew in person he was like oh i i yeah i had no idea and said like oh yeah you know he is and like that was it and it was like never part of his character never a big thing and then that kind of stuff came up and it was like i said a small wrestling show that no one had ever heard of that ran shows in a bar in new york and and uh and from there, he would, you know, pop up on some things that were, you know, like that, that were advertised as queer wrestling events, but was never, you know, the queer gimmick wrestler. He was, as you said, one of the most decorated wrestlers in the Southeast who just happened to be an openly gay black man. And that was not necessarily even part of his character. So as you said, he leaves the he leaves the scene better, not just for what he did, but also that he was able to kind of open that door for the next generation of wrestlers to see like, yeah, there is a path for someone you know like that for someone of all different kinds can can make it and it's not about you know it's not about your i your you know like who you are your identity or any of that it's about your wrestling talent and and if you're talented you're going to get over and he 
And he proved that. And that's actually a really positive sentiment as well that that happens in that, you know, short career that was pretty impactful in some ways. Um, so, yeah, I mentioned it <laughs> off the rip. Roddy Strong, did you happen to check out the uh, the Roderick Strong Blackwood match that I mentioned to you? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, I, I saw the ones that you mentioned. I saw the Roddy and Blackwood and uh, Zach and um, Kevin Knight match. Yeah, really cool show. Uh, the prestige show there in the Globe felt felt like like kind of like old school PWG in some ways, in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, Roddy just, I mean, you know, he's been on WWE and all that, and you know, he's in AEW now. But I mean, just up close and seeing the guy and the crispness and the way that he works, like. He's just on another level. I mean, you talk about one of the greatest of all time. I mean, when it comes to in-ring wrestling, like, yeah, Roddy is just special. And you can tell when you see him up close and, and compared to any other wrestlers that you see. I mean, been to a lot of shows over WrestleMania weekend, all that. Like, Roddy is just at that top, top level. Like, the kind of guys who are just special. And you can just tell within a moment of wrestling. Um, it was really cool. The pre-match video that they showed on the thing they actually showed on the screen in the building, which was kind of weird, but really cool. Uh, and he just went out here and, and kicked the shit out of Kevin Blackwood. It definitely wasn't the same. Like Roddy was not at the pace that he was at the peak of the, you know, Roddy championship run in PWG. You could definitely just taking it a little bit slower, but it's also like, okay, it's his first match back. And, 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 and which was also eight years ago. <laughs> yes. Eight years ago. He's definitely older. I saw a video. I just saw a video that he posted of him and his kid. And I was like, Jesus Christ, his kid is like six years old and looks like a person. You know what I mean? It's nuts. I was like, I, I, I'm shocked because I remember Marina just coming to PWG as a fan and you know what I mean? And now this, this, this like far down the line. So yes, it's been a long time. And like I said, it's his first match back. You don't need to unleash like the full gas tank, go, you know, un unload both barrels on your first night back on the Indies, right? Like maybe take it a little easy and you can build up, especially Blackwood. I thought this was a really good match. I thought Blackwood looked great. I think Blackwood's looked a lot better lately than he has in the past. Um, I think he's been better as a heel. Unfortunately, he was not really working heel here. But I think that you could actually do a series of matches between these two and, and actually make something of it. But who knows? I mean, who knows how many indie bookings Roddy's really going to take now that he's an AEW signed talent. You know, it's kind of... It'd be crazy if this is his one indie match, but we'll see, you know, how many more bookings he ends up taking. I mean, uh, to the sentiment of the match, yeah. Like, uh, obviously, this is not a Kevin Blackwood-friendly podcast. For the most part, when it, when, it, when, it come, when it comes to his wrestling, but he was it was it was he was pretty good here, and I can only imagine how much more electric and everything it felt live. But I think there's juice here in a series of matches for sure. And like, even if Blackwood has been better as a heel, I think that Roddy is a good heel that could maybe get something out of Blackwood. And that's tough to say because you've seen him versus all these different all star big name guys, and he. Still, for in a lot of ways, never put it together, had anything super meaningful or a standout performance. But I almost think Roddy is a guy that is so good, so intense, and comes across so great that you almost have to step it up and keep up, or else you're just gonna look like a complete idiot. So, yeah, so maybe if you like had someone like Roddy to work with, like work with throughout like a lot of this, a lot of this rise, that maybe that could have done Blackwood some good. So if this is their only encounter, then hopefully he learned, he leaves with some lessons and a 
good impression here and take and take some and take some of that. But I definitely think that Roddy would be a guy that would benefit Blackwood a lot as an opponent. Yeah, I just think of like the series of matches that Blackwood had with with Davy Richards that Davy was Davy at that time. And I mean, as much as you would hope he Blackwood could get something out of it, I don't think Davy was really looking to do much. Right? He was not looking to like really work hard <laughs> in general. I mean, we all everyone talked about it. His indie run up until you know what happened. Um, was just kind of, you know, the same match over and over again, really repetitive. And I just think that like, yeah, you didn't get, uh, you didn't get, you wouldn't get necessarily see a ton of growth from that. But, but here, yeah, I mean, just Roddy is just kicking the, beating the shit out of him. I mean, you, I don't think it comes across on, on video and it was not like crazy, but there was a moment where you could see that, that Roddy had started to break the skin and there was blood on Blackwood's chest. Like when when he started chopping and he didn't throw like a ton of chops. This was not like a crazy chop match for Roddy, but it's just his chops are on another level. I mean, shit, like Dom Garini, probably the only person I've seen who chops harder recently or, or like it seems it sounds louder. You know, it sounds more intense and and Roddy's just nasty ass chops. So, yeah, it's just he's going to kick your ass. So basically, yeah, your your only option is to go to keep up with him or you're just going to get absolutely demolished in there. So. Um, and the, the saber night, this was a, uh, this is where, like I say, where it felt like, okay, this feels like the old PWG, you got Roddy, you got saber here, uh, both having pretty decent matches. But, uh, what did you think of, uh, of saber and Knight here? I don't think it's a really good chemistry. I think that Zach is, you don't usually think of like athletic flyer guys as the best Zach opponents. You'd be, you'd think of like the Drew Gulak statures, uh, Walter, guys of that guys of that elk would be who I think people would first come to mind for Zach for, for Zach opponents, even like 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 a strike heavy guy like Abushi who can mix it up or whatever. But like Abushi for all that stuff, like what makes him match up with Zach isn't always always necessarily like the striking or whatever. Even though that's like part of it, a lot of it is that like the athleticism that Abushi brings to those matches and like like Zach versus guys like. AR Fox, ACH, Ricochet, like whatever, like is a pretty underrated genre of match. Even if it's not his usual best stuff, like he always he has a really good way of working of working with those guys and grounding them and controlling the pace and having them work like really good babyface performances. You know, like some guys, they're good. They have the great. They have like really good spots and they're like really dazzling. But I think Zach is has the room to in order for them to do like the really cool stuff and show off like athletic stuff in the midst of mat work. But Zach can get them to hone in on really solid baby face work. And Kevin Knight's a really good baby face anyway. So it's not like he like needs Zach to bring that out of him, but it's just a thing that Zach is good with, with those type of guys. So like not in, not like a super blow away thing or anything, but just like, it was cool. It like almost it takes you back, which I understand like the PWG thing. It almost takes you back. It takes you back to seeing like Zach when he was on the US Indies and having his touring match. It felt like an old Zach touring match. It yeah. felt like just a different, simpler, maybe better time for wrestling. So like it's not the best stuff in the world, just like this Roddy and Blackwood match. Like it's good, not the best stuff in the world, but like it just kind of reminds you of a different time so like that like that prestige show like i'm glad you had a good time there because like 
it 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 felt like watching it, or like watching what I'd watched from it. It's like, oh, this feels like how like super indie wrestling or indie wrestling like used to feel. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. I mean, it wasn't you know, it wasn't quite quite all the way to the level, but it definitely did have some stuff that really stood out. Stuff like Rina Yamashita and Sandra Moon strongly over delivered. Like I. I was expecting something from Rena just because of how great she is. And I actually hadn't gotten to see her live before. Um, but I mean, yeah, like ton- just the personality there was fantastic. Angels and Kid Bandit also over delivered, just a lot of fun. Um, Titus and Nick Wayne, I mean, like that was actually really solid for them. I, I actually am starting to like Titus more and more. And there was, you know, the post match promo, it felt so bad because Titus is giving this like, you know, raw, raw speech about Nick leaving. He just graduated high school. He's, you know, going to be probably showing up on AEW anytime soon um, and and start basically being there full time, I'm going to guess, if not like ROH or something. Um, and Titus is just given this speech, you know, oh, this, you know, this kid, however many years ago, walked up to me and he said like, oh, you know, how old are you? I look up to you. I want to be like you. And he was 16 years old and now he surpassed me. And I hope one day I could be as good as him. And I'm sitting there in the crowd just thinking like, man, Titus, you're already better than him, dude. Like, you know, I get it. And, you, and you're happy for your friend. And you probably he probably really means it. And a lot of people think Nick Wayne is really good. But I'm sitting there just going like, nah, man, Titus is like a much better wrestler than Nick Wayne right now. It's crazy to me. Like, I get it because of the situation and everything like that. But like, Nick Wayne being signed is kind of crazy comparatively um, to say like, oh, Titus is not going to, but crazy opener. Galeno Nomal is fucking nuts. Like, oh my God, he's just star rating to happen in person. Like, you know, machine guns, rascals in the main event, like just crazy. Yeah. So it did feel like you said, like it's the old super indies kind of feeling like it's back in some ways. Um, so hopefully they can, uh, hopefully prestige can keep that going. They announced a couple more shows in the, in the, in the the globe again coming up soon so you know like yeah hopefully we can uh we can get back there it's seeming like it's very possible that we could end up back there um but getting that stuff out of the way <laughs> kind of uh the real the real reason uh, why we, we slowed well, down well, one thing up. before we before we get to that stuff um so dragon gate had um oh yes two departures that like are really big news and worth talking about because these are guys that you just would have thought would, would have pegged as part of the future for the for the company and uh that is uh SBK um SB Kento yeah. and Kento, they, they put his they put his like his shoot name is so funny on their thing yeah, saying K- that he's K- leaving. Yeah, Kento Kabune, yeah. Yeah, Kento Kabune, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh Takuma uh, Fujiwara both leaving Dragon Gate. Um it's it's a really fascinating thing that I wonder if more if more details will come out about. Uh really all we know is that those guys went to Mexico for their for, for excursions or you know went to North America for excursions. We saw SB Kanto a little bit in the States. Um and both guys are currently in Mexico. And they just decided that they didn't want to come back to the company and what those reasons were and all that stuff. I hope that we'll learn more that more about that over time because I'm just fascinated as to what happened here, but yeah, man, uh, both of those guys are really, really good, extremely talented. 
and I think both of them had bright futures, but especially in the like case of like SB Kento, even if he wasn't like my favorite of the young guys, you saw a world where he was like the next like perennial heel foil in the company. If he was like the like Naruki Doi, like constant turning back and forth heel shithead guy that was like super reliable and you could put in all these different situations whether it was dream gate twin gate triangle gate whatever like you almost saw sbk as like the next doy and like just a, like a, like a guy that could have been anything for you like a really good baby face really good heel like he just had that for you whatever in, in whichever direction you want to take it and like Fujiwara is just like super talented in the ring, t- talented in the ring as well. Maybe not as standout like in terms of like character and act at the time, like SBK was, but still someone that you saw like super immense talent from. And even though Dragon Gate still has this well of talent from, you know, Shun, Strong Machine J, uh, Kakuda, Ishin, like. Having all these different guys that they're still pushing and moving forward with, you can even count Benke here as well. Like, even having all those guys, it is a blow to lose these two. So, it sucks that they're no longer on the roster. It's a thing that you look in like total with all the departures of, from Dragon Gate for the last four or five years now, from the OWE Exodus to then losing people like Kaito Ishida recently too like that's stuff that has happened the rookie doi went freelance and Shingo. It's, it, it like it's like it's reflective of just whatever turmoil or turnover whatever the reasoning is like there's been stuff happening in dragon gate for a while seemingly and it just results in like really good people leaving these young talents leaving and it's just stuff that you wouldn't have really expected so uh again I, i'm still following those guys in mexico or whatever else whatever else they wind up doing they're both really really good and i wish they were in a company but you know dragon gate has really good training they've produced really good talent after them they'll produce really good talent and uh yeah but what do you think about that if you have any thoughts yeah, I mean, obviously there's scuttlebutt going around and there's the rumors and the little bit of stuff that people have leaked here and there and, and saying that that kind of that they were released for a contract, you know, infringement, basically, and that there was some kind of unprofessionalism. I've heard people describe it as like, you know, frat boy or, you know, college level, just kind of not bad not you know not like modern day like you know college level like to mean like some kind of sexual assault or something but just basically like frat boy antics types and like of the old school kind of like light boys will be boys kind of stuff right um is the way that i've heard it described i don't know any particulars um but it definitely sounds insanely stupid it does make me question a lot of stuff because you talk about them staying in mexico and and sbk spending a little bit of time in the states that there was a lot of rumors and who knows how much of it was true and how much of it was, you know, cover up. We just, I don't know if you just saw Roosh, the, the Roosh's uh, announcement, posting a picture of his, his uh, baby being born. And uh, Jose, the assistant quote, teats it saying like uh, visa issues, you know, question mark, Dave Meltzer or whatever. Um, 
how much of the time that people say visa issues and all this stuff is actually some other background stuff going on. Um, because there was stories of like that the reason why they had disappeared from Mexico for a little bit was because there was visa issues. And the reason why Fujiwara had shown back up in Japan for that one off match with Eita was because um, they were dealing with that stuff. And the reason why Fujiwara had not spent any time um, in America was because he did not have American visa. And, you know, so and that the reason why, you know, part of why they were in between for a minute was because they were working out the Mexican like. Who knows how much of that is true, but it doesn't make me go like, okay, well, do they even to say like, oh, we want to stay in Mexico. Do they have a visa and do they have a visa and the ability to stay in Mexico and work if they're not affiliated with Dragon Gate anymore? Because that shit's not just like easy. I don't know how easy it is to just have a working visa, you know, in Mexico. It might not be as hard as America um, because they're a lot more forgiving in Mexico for immigrants, um, especially immigrants that are not coming from South America. Um, you know, the Japanese immigrant, American immigrant, you know, let's say a uh, an Australian or New Zealand immigrant can get into uh, can get into Mexico relatively easy and get a working visa and stuff, as opposed to like people from Honduras and, and other South American countries. Um, so there is that. But but I don't know, like, can they just work in Mexico as much as they want? Where do they end up if they can't? Because it is weird because I am looking at it and I'm like, OK, what? what company in Japan is going to take them in with the level that they're at and the fact that they're, they're, you know, not going to be true born unless they want to start over in someone else's dojo. Um, Uh, And also, Oh, well, even before you move, like, and also risk any kind of relationship that a lot of companies might have with dragon gate. Cause that's another part of it. It's like, Sure, like maybe Noah could take them in pretty easily, but Noah's been working with Dragon Gate pretty regularly. Do they want to risk anything with Dragon Gate for these two guys? Right. So I would say that like in in SB with SBK, he's a little more like 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 well, I mean, always a little more like he got the fall in like the big like generations like DG Toriyaman versus. Uh, versus like uh, versus Red thing, like so, like he's been given big moments already, and was someone else clearly paid as a top star. So like, I think if someone like SBK is available for any promotion in Japan, that even if he's not you know quote unquote one of yours, if you go through here stuff, and if that stuff isn't like a bit major enough red flag for you to like turn it away completely, that you sign SBK in a heartbeat. Um, Fujiwara isn't as accomplished, but again, he's really, really good. And I'm not saying that like you sign him and that he should like jump the line in front like, in front of like your other like established um day one talent that you have that you have working on the roster. But he's another one where he's really, really good. And again, if you go through everything, hear the stories, check the stuff out, and you don't feel like these guys are red flags, then. I, if I'm a company, I'm signing them in a heartbeat. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Like I said, I think, you know, again, part of it is like um, depending on the company and, and how strict they are about stuff. None of them are as strict as they used to be. But like a like a New Japan, they don't really, you know, they don't really sign people who aren't true born and work with people who aren't true born unless they're like really, really top talent and proven top talent. And these guys are not quite there, but as you talk about with SB, like pretty much, you know, anything lower than New Japan is probably open to working with someone like him. 
um, as long as there isn't any concern about you know pissing I off think, Dragon I, Gate. I, I think New Japan's open to him. I think New Japan's open to both of them. Like you think so? They signed Francesco Akira, and again, like they, like the way they treat foreigners is different than the way they treat like Japanese talent when it's yeah. when, it, when it comes to signing people. But like you know, it's not like Francesco Akira was uh like was like a super big deal in all Japan. He's like done like he was hanging around the junior title or whatever, but it's not like he was a super duper big deal and they clearly like him and like view potential view potential for him. Um I think ultimately it depends on what guy what those guys want to do from like going to like being like potential future stars in Dragon Gate to being like just juniors in New Japan. Like they might not want to do that. They might want to go to like a see like spread their wings to a DDT. Or see if they could like work out like you know do do the freelance thing and it works or stay in mexico and like work out or, or work out some things there or see whatever see whatever right but yeah i think that like if they're willing to sit there and like see francesco akira is such a big uh well such like a such a mainstay in all japan and they're willing to like debut him and push him to push him that they did i don't see why they wouldn't do it for like sbk yeah that's fair and i could definitely see you mentioned DDT there. I could see Fujiwara really doing like fi- filling a really nice role in DDT. Um, basically, like s- something kind of like what Akito should be doing, but just isn't anymore because he doesn't want to wrestle. But you know what I mean? Like that role of just being the kind of a technical wizard. Like Oishi, I think would be a fantastic opponent for him. Like, and there's just tons of guys that he could muck it up on the mat with. Even you know, even Hiroshima. Um, shout out to to Evan. Um, you know, like he would fit right in there. I think he'd be a really great star there. But they're they're on a youth kick, right? They've got all their young boys that they're trying to push, and like, I think he could smoke pretty much all of the students that they're trying to like present higher right now. But do they want to bring somebody in like that that's going to overshadow a bunch of people that they're in the middle of trying to push? It's it's tough, but I definitely think he would fit. He would fit in there. I mean, he would fit in in Gleet like probably perfectly. I'd love to see Fujiwara trying to do UWFI style rules. Like that'd be pretty sick. So, I mean, yeah, there's tons of places. And SBK, yeah, you. I mean, you talked about kind of like Doi. I, you know, somewhere in between like uh, uh, Tozawa and Doi, really, kind of is the vibe that he gave off. Just yeah, the personality, the the getting over the work, and then yeah, being able to be just a bully heel and, and lovable. Like, would it really, really seem like dragon gate was the place for him but then the question is like you know what is the the dragon gate model is like a very it's like fine but i think you know from what they say or from what it seems a lot of you know dragon gate wrestlers are not necessarily getting rich right so what if you're not if you're not in dragon gate and able to make it through because of kind of the communal aspect of the company like at that level, can you really make a living? <laughs> you know, I hate to even talk about it that way, right? But you know what I'm saying? Like at the level that they're at, scraping on the indies in Mexico, are they really able to like have a career? Or at that point, what are you? And then like how do you make things work in Mexico as a foreign Japanese wrestler? Like, <laughs> do you get a side job? Like what you know, like I'm just like, what do you do? So it is kind of weird to think about that too. Yeah, that's there's a lot to consider here when you're uh, leaving a company, and especially in the ways in which like this happened. Like for what it's worth, it's like you know we both loved Kaito Ishida, and like 
I think he's still yeah. been good and had like like flashes in Gleet and doing other things, but like I don't think he's been as good outside of Dragon Gate as he was in Dragon Gate either. Like, so I want these guys to be successful, and I want to see like just good wrestlers everywhere too. Like, I really think Kaito Shida is that talented. I've like like liked him for a long time, so I like really great, brilliant things in him. And maybe sometimes like people are really best suited for a certain environment, and then when you take them out of that environment, they're not they're not they're they're not there. And that's not to say that about Fujiwara or SBK. Like those guys have been good in Mexico, so it's like so it's not a th- not to say that they are cases like that, but there is something to be said about being like in the right ecosystem and building up an ecosystem like in a specific type of wrestler that works in a certain type of environment, like. When they're training those guys, they're training them to be like to work for that system and to work for that promotion. So like, yeah, you're learning like the basic skills to be a good wrestler, but like, if what you came in into and all you know was Dragon Gate, then like, on some level, like it's gonna it's it's a little harder to like get out of that and fit somewhere else. So I hope they find home somewhere because I think they're both really good. That I think we can both agree on. Um. Kind of okay to be, I guess, to be clear to you, because I was about to move to the the kind of the punk stuff. I guess I'll just say it. Um, but uh, initially, this episode, when we were going to record it days ago, was like kind of was going to be the review of West Coast Pro Kid Zombie. I'm not even we haven't even really talked. I'm not even sure if you watch the show. I don't know how much I even care to like review the whole show. Um, but, oh yeah, uh, did you, no, did I, 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 I didn't want to. Okay. So you didn't even end up w- watching the kid zombie show. Like I said, it's been so long that I, I just, it's not even worth it to me. Uh, there was some interesting stuff on here, um, but it's like, okay, we talked about the Zack Sabre Jr. Kevin Knight match, and that's about it when it comes to like, like the Kevin Knight, Brian Keith match was really, really good. Um, Kevin Knight is fantastic. I was going to mention that earlier when you were talking about him. It's It was really smart that they spun him off from the rest of the LA dojo before they all got like kind of absorbed into the bullet club thing, because he's such a great baby face. Um, and it felt like they were kind of trying to present him as part of the LA dojo thing when they were initially brought them into AEW and they were kind of being like, Oh, we're like tough guy, badasses. And like, I think he would have been fine at that, but he has so much more personality as a, as a heel. It, it's like way just night and day. Um, this was a good Blackwood. As I said, Blackwood's been good as a heel. Good Blackwood heel performance against Spencer on this show. That's like worth checking out. Um, Nicole Savoy and Nicole Matthews disappointed, which is just such a bummer to say because of how how good you know we would expect from those two. But I'm happy. Like it's like it's so tough because I'm kind of happy that Nicole came or Savoy, I should say, came back after retiring. But she's just she's just not the same. Like. You know what I mean? It's just, I hate to say that because it's like, you know, I'm happy that she came back to wrestling, but I don't, you know, talked about it with AC Mack. I don't know if she should be wrestling if her heart's not in it, you know, to to give like as much of a, like the Nicole Savoy performance that we want to see. So, you know, that's a, that's kind of a bummer there. Um, But yeah, I mean, this was a solid show overall. There's other stuff in here I could talk about, but whatever. Los Suavecitos, I just want to shut them out. Not even talk about the match, just... They're a SoCal tag team. They're really good heels. They're small, but they sell and bump really well. And they're they do a lot of heat and all that. So they make that work. Um, 
So yeah, you know, whatever. Fuck that. I'll do like an indie roundup. St. Louis Anarchy. Uh, they did Woke. Giants Woke. Eyes Open. Um, the only thing worthwhile on this show was the opening match. Jeremy Wyatt and Anakin Murphy. I think Anakin Murphy is like kind of developing something neat. Uh, have you seen this guy at all? Uh, No, I haven't yet. Okay. Um. He's really, really over in like kind of a misfit oddity kind of way, but he had this really kick-ass match with Gary J on the last St. Louis Anarchy show. He followed it up with this match with Jeremy Wyatt um, as this like underdog, My Chemical Romance. He's wearing like cut-off jean shorts with uh, fishnet stockings underneath. He's got some eye makeup, mid-length bob, like a, what they call a lob, a long bob kind of haircut. Um, and he's doing like kind of a badass like you know or he likes to fight he likes to get his ass kicked he likes to throw you know like kind of that kind of wrestler but he's the underdog he sells his ass off the crowd is getting behind him really big especially in st louis anarchy and i just he's getting to the point now where i want to see him take this kind of gimmick on the road and see if it has legs because it's really working you know it reminds me of so many like great underdog baby faces that we've seen over the years that people love to root for even though even while they're just getting their asses kicked um and you just you know when when you start to develop that you want to see okay you know this crowd knows you maybe there's people in this crowd who even know you in real life but does this does this translate to other places does this translate out of your hometown are you able to continue making this work and and i would like to see if he does and then a uh, six-man tag team match with Derek neal casey carrington moonshine mantel taking on manders Christian Rose and Mad Dog Connolly that was just like a wild fucking chaotic beef brawl, just fucking crazy fight that was tons of fun to check out. So, you know, say check those out. Um, and then Action Wrestling, Guardians of the Southeast. This show is just really good, and I wish that we had planned to just review this instead, but it wasn't out when we were supposed to record. So I'm not even going to talk about anything, but just a, a good show. And, and if you get a chance, check it out. There's a ton of cool stuff. And then the AC Mac retirement on here as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I actually, I guess I don't know if you saw any of it. You probably not, but maybe. No, I didn't see any of it. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, whatever we will, we will end up reviewing it just because it's like next week we're going to have to do forbidden door the week after that, I think is going to be Kobe world. Um, so like that, that'll probably be the plans there. So we won't ever get around to, to reviewing action show, but like I said, I, I mentioned there, it's, it was a good, it was a really good show. Action's always really good. And with AC Mack retiring, it made it even more clear to see like, okay, the, uh, again, he didn't want to say retiring, so I shouldn't say that, but it made it even more clear that it's like, this is a whole new era for action, but it's like, it's so seamless, the transition as they've developed new talent. And like a lot of the guys from the first gen of action wrestling are gone, but they've been replaced over the years and you have the new stars and you almost didn't even notice that it's like a totally different company from when it started. And, and it really made it just that much more clear to see AC leave because he's so he's been so pivotal to action wrestling. It's crazy, but it's like, Oh no, like this is a different company and they can continue on without AC. Even if it seemed at one point, like that would be impossible. Um, so yeah. So, you know, just, I guess, check it out, whatever. Um, <laughs> the return Quentin, I was thinking, I saw that review. I don't know if you saw it. There was a review that someone posted about the podcast on uh, like Apple Music or whatever, Apple Podcast, that said, like, we get a me and you get along about everything too much. 
And I've noticed that I get I've been getting a lot of traction with tweets just hating on punk. So I was thinking maybe on the podcast I can continue with the character that I don't like him and you could like him and then we could disagree about punk. Um and then maybe that people would enjoy that because it works. I mean it gets a lot of <laughs> it gets a lot of traction on Twitter for me to make jokes about CM Punk and act like I don't like him. Um so what do you think? Should I should I stick with the I hate CM Punk character? Uh, unless, unless I mean, unless you unless you plan on doing breakout clips from the podcast, then I'm not sure. Yeah, right. Maybe, you gotta uh, do the, the you YouTube like, videos. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe you could like, one of your tweets around a breakout clip from the podcast, and uh, then we then we then we could do. <laughs> yeah, and we can get into arguments about how CM Punk sucks or whatever, and he's bad. Um, mm. so Punk returned on Saturday night. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think you got you had the ESPN article pulled up. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about article first? Sure. Yeah. So before any of this happened, there was an article that before the article even came out was people were talking about it and making it this like, oh man, this article is just ruining things and making things even worse and all of that stuff. Um, there's an article on ESPN that is an interview that CM Punk does with Mark Raimondi and basically Punk has just stuck to the same story that he's been telling uh, for however long. He does talk about how like the in- uh, the injury uh, to his foot and uh, everything like might have factored in to like his mental state heading into all out when all, when all, when all that happened. Yeah. And which is something I even said at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's that, that's a thought that's a thought a thought that's been out there. So like people have talked about like that being part of it. But yeah, just sticking to the story. And I guess the main thing here that Punk said is he was over the situation. He's tried to be over it. He's regretful. He feels bad for the position that he puts Tony in, and that he's tried to talk to the others about it, and that he's gotten told off basically, not directly through them, but through legal advisement for those parties that they didn't want to communicate or didn't want to talk, which I find really interesting and and goes back to, I guess, what we've been saying about, like, the elite during this whole process is, like, it's not like punk is without fault in anything. Like, no one's going to sit there and act like that. But we just have seen a bunch of people that are more willing to place all the blame at the footstep of punk when... If you believe him and believe what he says, he's the one trying to make amends, trying to talk it out so people can move past it and not have this weird tension or whatever about the situation. And you can say that, look, if someone attacked you or punched you, did whatever, and you didn't want to talk to them, like they're within the right to do that. I understand that. But if we're in a company and work together and at some point have to interact because you guys are decision makers or important heads of this or important faces of this place, then you'd think that maybe they'd want to work it out. But that's the impression that I'm getting from the punk side of things in the article. And I think that was my biggest takeaway there. Uh, Otherwise just general stuff kind of rehashing where like, you know, how punk felt about the, about about the how the cabana stuff played into things and just his version of events feeling like Hagman said something that he just didn't know anything about and where things spiral from there. But 
I don't know. I guess I'm kind of rambling now. What did did you have any takeaways from the? <laughs> oh, far or, be or, it, Quentin. Or was it just stuff that, that like you already like figured? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> feel free to ramble. I think I think you have tons of. Uh, you got me on that one. You know what I mean? You, you've got a plenty of leeway to ramble to me as much as you'd like at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot there that I have thoughts on. There's a lot there that I have kind of angles on, right? Based on, you know, you know how my brain works on this stuff. And it is interesting because that was kind of the story. And I think people maybe overlooked it or didn't think about it. But, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, like the interview just is the same timeline, the same series of events that we've all already knew. And it's like, well, yes, <laughs> because if you've, you know, read the tea leaves and followed the the kind of the 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 whole situation you know that the the only information that we've gotten about the story has come from punk's side of things this entire time so it's like yeah of course the story seems like it's the same because the only fucking details that have ever leaked out have leaked out from punk's side so yeah it's like oh we already all knew all this yeah because punk is sticking to his story and he has the entire time um the other part of it is is to play into that too is feeling like people kind of people take something read it and kind of stick with it a little bit too literally or or kind of you know they divine the reasoning and the understanding from something in the way that they read it but they don't really look at it in like the language of punk and understand that he's doing kind of weasel words because a lot of people are pointing out that punk says like if it wasn't for people from the locker room leaking information and stuff coming out, this could all be over with and no one would be talking about it anymore. And the thing is, is that Punk is very coy about the way that he says that because he doesn't necessarily say who in the locker room is leaking this stuff out. And if you know what I just said, which is that it's Punk's side that's leaking all the stuff, all he's saying is, if my side didn't keep leaking stuff, no one would be talking about this anymore, is what he's actually saying. Which so it's just like... is We know who that is yeah. anyway. Right. I mean, it's still just him. Like, it's him and Dax, but you know what I'm saying? Well, like, no, well, not, well that's, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, like, yes, it's punk, but that's what I'm saying. It's fucking FTR, too. It's like... Right. <laughs> right, right. But my point is this. People look at that and they go, well, why is punk saying, oh, all these other assholes are leaking information... And if they didn't leak it, then no one would be talking about it anymore. And it's like, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, we keep leaking information, and that's how we keep this story in the media. Because Punk is trying to work this. And you can even tell from the way that Collision opened up in his promo that Punk is trying to work this, and he's intentionally working the media, and he's trying to keep the controversy going. So what he's saying is not, oh, I wish that everyone would stop talking about this story. What he's saying is, we keep you guys talking about this story. We've been intentionally making everyone not stop talking about this. And you can look at that, uh, uh, you know, different ways and you can take different tacks on it. But was, part of it is, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, especially when you've like, listen in here, he's like, part of what, he's like, part of like the exacerbated, exacerbated thing of it, thing of all this is, is, I think a lot of people had the impression or, or would have just generally thought like, oh, this is just, Punk being away from AEW because of whatever the situation was, not being sure if he'd come back and X Y Z when he ruptured his uh, he ruptured his triceps. So that part, though, so that part of things too is I think that they were looking at it from a 
injured. We're gonna keep this injured guy in the in the, in the news. This is a big story type of type of perspective, and I think a lot of people looked at that and would again because it was a, such a crazy situation. Like like this is gonna be one of the crazy wrestling stories that have happened in like the last however many years. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be remembered. So I think people only like a lot of people only looked at it from like the perspective of the incident. And oh, this is a uh, all the people that got so doom and gloom about it, and this is such a black eye to the sport and things like that. So they took that as why Punk was away, and not hey, this guy ruptured his tricep off the bone. Yeah, and and the entire time he was just trying to keep his name out there and keep himself relevant, and and he did such a good job of it that even I said the the entire company feels like it's just you know in the shadow of cm punk and can't move forward until we all know what the fuck is going on with this guy um and when he's not on tv and he's not a character on the show that air overbearing nature of cm punk is a field felt like a negative and felt like god can we just like move on right and it was just intentional and that's why i say like it's it feels clear that it's a move and it like i said it or like i was about to say or what i was getting to was you can also see that as punk protecting his spot. He's not just like trying to whip up whatever to draw money. He's also trying to finagle and position himself to being the most important guy in the company still so that he can come back because as he says in the interview, he was in his mind, he was always coming back. And I think I can understand in that situation saying, okay, well, you know what? I'm not going to just disappear for however many months and be out of the mind. Because if I do that, maybe Tony Khan can believe, you know what? We don't need CM Punk and he's not worth the trouble and he's not worth the headache, but yeah, he's not worth the trouble all this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. But if he keeps his name on everyone's fucking mouth and he makes it so the entire company feels like it's in the shadow of CM Punk's return, then Tony can't forget about him because the fans can't forget about him. And they, he has to come back and makes himself that important that they need to bring him back. So you can see it both ways. And you can, again, like I said, if you understand the weasel words, he's not saying you guys wouldn't be talking about this event if it wasn't for all the other motherfuckers who won't shut up about it. What he's saying is, I've made you guys keep talking about me because I control the media, I control the fans, and I control everything because that's the psychology of wrestling. And when you talked about the Bucks and the Bucks not wanting to just bury the hatchet the first thing that pops in my mind is they're trying to politically move her as well they're trying to maneuver and not just give up because if they just bury the hatchet they don't really have a lot of negotiation room and with their contracts coming up having this to hang over the head and to say basically we aren't going to get along with punk blah 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 and if they turn that into part of the negotiation hey you know what if you want to keep us and you don't want us to go to WWE and do what Cody is doing, which is making Vince a bunch of money and actually like turning ratings around and being a huge draw for them, give us more money and then we'll be willing to stick to stay around and, and deal with this asshole. And then I'm sure after they sign the new contract and they have a bunch of money, then we'll hear, you know what? Stuff between Punk and the Bucks is better. They've actually worked things out. I'm like almost 100% sure that's just it's just a bargaining chip that they're using right now. And it and it's honestly very smart of them, just like Punk 
is maneuvering himself to continue to feel important by not letting people fucking stop talking about his bullshit. The Bucks are saying, we're not going to just give this up because they have something. They really do. Like, it, they've, they're getting lawyers involved. They could take legal action. Like, this could be real. This could be a real issue. Okay, do you want this to be a real issue or do you want this to go away? Well, you know, put a couple extra zeros on the contract, smooth things over, make everything nice for us, and then this will disappear and everything will be fine and we'll move forward business as usual, right? And I can't blame them for that because it's a business. And that's the thing that Punk starts out the promo talking about this is the pro wrestling business. And people, you know, people who don't realize that the Bucks are just playing fucking business are like, oh man, Punk incinerated those two dorks from Reseda who don't even understand that this is a business and they're just in their feelings and they're weak. It's like, no man, it's a business. And I'm sorry, but if your boss punched you in the face, would you like just show up to work the next day like nothing happened and be like, you know what, boss, we're cool? Or would you go to HR or go to the fucking the CEO and try to get money? Like, of course, if you're trying to do business, if you're trying to make money, you're not going to just let that shit go because it's worthwhile to you. Right? Like, am I am I crazy? No, I think you're I think you're getting it. And that's kind of what I was getting at there when like they mentioned that the elite side of things they want to talk to punk. And I'm like, well, yeah, like there's like still other stuff going on that I'm sure like isn't solved or entirely resolved there because like we can like look at it as a fight in some ways it could be viewed as possibly assault like maybe assault depending on how we're yeah. getting like portrayed is going on there so like you're absolutely right um I still think it's in- part of me is always gonna gonna wonder because like it is all dumb ultimately we all we, we all said last year like this just comes down to like grown men and me and their egos not being able to communicate and things like that. And like, these are adults and they should be able to talk to each other. But I just still, part of me thinks about the root, which is like the Colt Cabana of it all. And what punk still says and that the story still remains is like, he felt like they were all good. That, that, they, that he had a relationship with all those guys. And that when Cabana got reassigned, that those guys took it as punk must have had something to do with it. And I know why Cabana doesn't say anything. I know why Cabana doesn't like want to get involved doesn't want to get involved in this. He's probably been advised to not get involved in any of this. But it's just it's funny. It's funny to sit there and like think that all of this and like it's punk. Punk is is liable to just be grumpy or cranky or want to burn something to the ground as possible. That you could, you could just say that's who he is, right? But I think ultimately, before we get into collision, it's just still so funny that all this happened over them riding for Colt Cabana over a situation where, like, it's, we're, we're like overblowing how important he was to the fucking roster or programming. If you're if the, if, the, if these guys were really that upset about it, like it's just it's it's a, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing. Well, and it comes down to like Holt. And like, I'm sorry, like, I kind of, I believe punk in the idea of like, you know, Scotty Goldman is not necessarily, you know, he's a fucking fake friend. Like, I'm sorry, but just from everyone who's had personal dealings with the guy, from my own personal interactions with him, which is very minimal. But you know what I'm saying? And and just his public like persona and the way that he's acted and everything he's done. I'm just like, like, I don't. The, 
Cole Cabana is carny as fuck, man. Like, you just can't... I can't believe that you should be riding and dying for this guy because he just would not do that for you. And, like, that's the part of it that's just fucking crazy to me. Because, like, I just don't... I don't think that he's genuine in any of his, like, you know... for the Especially... Uh, I'll say he's not genuine in the context of wrestling business. When he goes home... When he's with his family, his friends, all that, he's maybe he's a real guy. But in the context of wrestling, and you would think that Punk would be the, his closest friend who he met so early on, but I mean, he met him in wrestling, right? So who knows? But yeah, I just, that's a part of it that's crazy too, because you're just like, why would you guys? But again, I don't necessarily know. The Bucks are, are just as political. I mean, they're just as into playing all of that drama and that bullshit game. And, and that's where it does come into like, like you said, these are grown men and their feelings. And it's like, Feelings is one thing, but then you start talking about money. And as I said, when you can hold this stuff over and and it can mean the difference between a sizable amount of money on your paycheck, you kind of stick with it, even if it's not, even if when it com- really came down to it, you could let it go. I don't know how much of it you like continue to push and continue to hold a grudge about because because you can, you know, you can leverage it to actually make more money. And I just, I definitely see that that's like, that's the side of it that I think a lot of people overlook because you don't really think about it as a fan on the outside about the business side of things. And that's why, you know, Punk says it's it's wrestling business, right? It's just like he's stealing the Kevin Nash thing, right? It's like it's the business thing. And I think if you overlook that, you forget, like, a lot of these guys are always thinking about the fucking dollars and cents. And it's not really about their how upset they are personally. That's why, like, someone like Kenny Omega feels the most genuine to me on his opinion on stuff because... I think he just keeps his mouth shut and kind of stays away from that side of things more and more because he really is more into the wrestling for the art thing. And I don't think he cares as much about making more money. So he kind of just goes along with, with the bucks at this point because he's kind of like, well, they handle my, that stuff for me. And he lets them just kind of do all that and he doesn't necessarily need to be involved in it. Uh, if we want to pivot from that, do you want to talk about Collision, collision now? We don't, like, If you want, we could... sure. Do the whole review. Do do the whole review here. We don't necessarily have to because like yeah. it's like it. It was a good show. I I, I enjoyed it and like if this is gonna be a like a, 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 a show where we're gonna be getting like CM Punk and Andrade and FTR and Jay White and Juice and like all these like all these guys are just like really good all over the all over the show. Then like. I'm I'm in I'm into it. I'm into like whatever like whatever people would be on here. Uh but well was that was that punk promo to start the show? Uh notice, notable to you notable to you in any way? I think for me, like knowing punk, uh and knowing like his nerd brain and who he worships, the Brett's the Bret Hart colors was uh yeah. was that was definitely intentional. Probably like, channeling some uh Bret Hart in the mid to late nineties there, uh, with his with his approach and take on things. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what people are saying, what's being reported, but he he lost the argument on being full heel, and now he's going for the Bret ninety eight thing, and uh, and you can definitely see it. Like he's definitely, or no ninety six. What am I talking about? Anyways, um, he's doing the he's doing the Bret Hart thing for sure, and uh, it's like without a doubt, like the 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 story of that and like you said the colors are there and and the way that that he did the promo he, he oh i think i dropped out for a second or something dropped out there for a second yeah, you did, oh. yeah. yeah we'll see uh we'll see what that means 
but uh but yeah the colors were definitely intentional um the 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 kind of the way that he did everything was intentional I mean, even in, so much as the bag thing was very funny because it was just like you like even that it's like he is really milking it. Like you can see that Punk is going about as old school as he can with everything and that he's just trying to get the most out of every single drop. Like he could have had the title, but he didn't. So he he really just teased it. The bringing out the boots thing just was very like, OK, what are we what are we doing here? You know, like we're, we're really he's just he was trying to have everything. He's trying to have every possible gimmick. He was trying to like milk every possible drop from like everything. And I, I definitely appreciate it. And like the thing of it is that when it comes down to it, it's like we've talked about it. Me and you have both talked about it. Punk is a Hall of Fame level talent, like easy, all time great Hall of Famer, like without a question in my mind. And when he comes out here and he does this, it's like. 100% there because I cannot imagine how anyone watching this anyone especially in the building doesn't get caught up in the moment and just is there with everything he's saying even if you don't agree with what he's saying even if you know it's not true it's just he comes across so authentic he comes across so believable the crowd is behind him everything he's doing like I said from top to bottom it's perfect um and again, he didn't really give anything away. He hit a couple lines, hit a couple licks that people are like, you know, reading into all this and that. But it's like even even that it's like the stuff was like really tame comparatively to where he could have gone. So he didn't even like give a ton in the the promo. But, you know, he gave enough and, and people are still talking about it. So just again, one of the all time greats. And it was just phenomenal kind of all around so yeah i just you know it's like okay is the bag thing gonna be something i was like and i've heard you know people have the thought i had the thought like okay is the is it going to be a collision title is it that that hard of a bland split and it's almost like you could tell that that was kind of intentional he did that to tease people into thinking like oh my god is he gonna have his own title belt for this show Okay, but like you didn't necessarily even announce it and say that that's it. So that's like again great because you can just get people talking. Oh, does this mean he's going to just challenge MJF pretty soon? Maybe not. Maybe yes. Maybe no. Who knows? So yeah, there's like there's a ton there, and uh, and yeah, it's just a great, great, uh, great opening promo. Great way to set the tone for the show. And I'll say like big picture. I don't know how like and like you talked about. I don't know how big we have to get into everything or how detailed we have to get into it. But like big picture, like. This this was you know two hours just like dynamite right but like it felt I don't know how to describe it but it felt like everything went by so quickly but it didn't have like the same level of feeling like stuff was just like so crammed in like I would have believed it was an hour show because it felt like I got an hour's worth of content but it didn't feel like it ever dragged. So it was kind of like a really perfect balance in that way where it was like it was just fast enough and it was just slow enough to where you didn't have to like, again, give away a ton. But you also didn't like feel like it was just droning on and dragging on. And I definitely get people who kind of like 
talked about that the the scissor thing with the acclaimed wasn't necessarily and it wasn't necessary and was like kind of just there but like for the overall vibe of the show it didn't again it didn't feel like oh this is just like this bloated long thing like i don't know what did you think about the overall vibe when it came to that yeah it felt like a really breezy show um so i'm, I'm not going the same sentiments with you there is that you know for some for some reason like it it like it, it, it flew by but it didn't feel like anything got shorted either or like they're like trying to like do too many things at once which you know it's the first it's the first one it's the first episode of it so we'll see how that uh goes but you know if what we're hearing is true about like you know cm punk having like a ton of a ton of input when it when it comes to like how collision uh when how when it comes out collision gets ran then like i think that this could be a like indicative of like how we could like expect like collision to be in the future and not just trying to like start having so many moving parts that it gets kind of overwhelming sometimes yeah that's it it wasn't overwhelming nothing felt rushed nothing felt like like you like fitting a bunch of things in there but again it didn't feel like it was dragging it went by quickly so i thought that was great um you know the 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 commentary team i don't know like what was your thoughts about kevin kelly here because to me it was a little bit awkward hearing his voice in this context i did not like it I did, was not, like was not a fan yeah. of it. Um, well, I'm also not a Kevin Kelly guy anyway. So, like, you know, I'm a little biased sure. there because of not being a fan of his. But him coming on and, like, doing things like, you know, getting fucking Andrade's name wrong and shit. Like, right. it's like if you're going to be doing commentary, like, that's things that you have to do. And, like, Kevin Kelly's been doing this for 20-plus years. Like, you gotta be on top of your game and be better than that when you're gonna come in and like commentate a product, especially the first episode of a new pro of a new program. Like you can't come on here doing shit like that. So I'm already not a Kevin Kelly fan, so I wasn't happy to go back to fucking twenty fifteen ROH days of a Kevin Kelly Nigel McGinnis booth. I wasn't ha- I wasn't happy about that. But no. um I was like, man, like if you're gonna do, if you're gonna have him here, like he has to be on top of his shit, and you can't be pronouncing people's names wrong. Like, you can't be doing shit like that. Yeah, and it's like not just. I mean, you talked about Kevin Kelly there, and I'm, I'm like split on Kevin Kelly. I actually, I think he's pretty decent at times, but like the thing that's really driving me crazy lately is like the new. It's funny because I think, I think I don't like kevin kelly's natural instincts and personality i don't think i like him when he's just being him and that's like kind of the like the thing like you want to like your your personalities your commentators all that stuff like where they come across just like authentic and they're just being themselves and i don't like when he's just authentic being himself so like i thought he was really good in new japan when he was like on his best behavior but now that he's like recently as he's become more and more like integrated and feels more comfortable like his joking and a lot of his like more of his personality coming through i don't like as much so it is kind of like i've kind of turned on him it was like i, I was like hey eh, he's fine i liked him in roh at sometimes then he came into new japan and i was like oh this guy's really good and then over the past few months i've just been like really turned off on him and and I think people have just like made excuses, like, oh, he's not there live. He's mo- so much better when he's in the building. And I'm just like, no, like, 
I think he's just gotten too comfortable and he's not really like trying to impress and it's just it it doesn't work. He has to be he has to be working really hard to be any good and here he's just like not natural because he's uncomfortable. He doesn't know, he isn't following the product, he doesn't know what's going on and and sure he could catch up and get better, but then once he gets too comfortable, he'll be bad again. So it feels like it's not worth it to me. But I think too many people are giving Nigel a pass. I mean, fuck, dude. Like, Nigel was so good in ROH. And then I did not really pay attention to him in NXT and WWE and stuff. But it seems like he got so fucking bad. Because he's just playing cheesy heel. Like, a lot of the times he's just, like, over the top in the way that he's, like, rooting for the bad guy. It's just so fucking craven and just fucking blatant that he's just being, like, an antagonist just to be it. And, like, I think some wrestlers can pull that off, especially when, as a wrestler, they were a heel. But, like, Nigel was, I mean, he was a heel at times, but I think his biggest and most popular, like, time period, he was a babyface. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like when, when I think of Nigel, like, I don't automatically think of Nigel being a villain. Like, it's not like some William Regal shit, where, like, yeah. you think of Regal being, like, a career heel. Like, I don't think of Nigel that way. Right. So then like having him just be a heel because, oh, I'm an ex-wrestler, so I I, I know what it's like to be a baddie, so I'm going to root for the bad guys. It's like, no, man, it just doesn't work. It doesn't feel natural. It feels fucking lazy, and it feels WWE as hell, so I'm just not into it. Um. So yeah, this commentary team doesn't work for me, and it's, it's crazy because like Tony has the best commentary team in wrestling under contract, and you have to fucking subscribe to the Honor Network to, to hear them. Because Ian Riccoboni and Priest Coleman are the best commentary team in wrestling right now. Like, and you can only hear them on fucking ROH. And it's like, dude, like, why are they not on TV? Like, really? They would be so much better here. And they would be so much more familiar because a lot of the people on this show are ROH wrestlers, right? So, like, you would see or they'd be familiar with them. They would know the product. They know all the stuff that's going on here. It's just, It's crazy to me that you hire these guys and bring them in to do this you know it's just when you have such a better a better team um otherwise i don't know like is there match stuff that you want to talk about i mean we can i mean like there was good stuff here like i thought andrade and buddy and buddy was good um like i, I like the dueling uh limb stuff limb stuff there i thought they both did it really well uh it's funny because as buddy selling the leg i'm I'm thinking, oh, this is kind of interesting to do a leg match with Andrade. I wonder what's going on. Like, it doesn't cross my mind at all that he might do the figure four and transition into the yeah. figure eight to get a little to get a pop there. Like, I didn't, I didn't even think about that at all. So when it didn't cross my mind, so I was like, oh, okay, cool. That that was that was a little, a, a little fun thing, but that's something that didn't even cross my mind at all. But I thought that was fun. I think that those guys have pretty good chemistry and can have like good firecracker stuff like this and i thought this didn't oversay his welcome and those guys i don't know it, it was it was nice thing andrade again yeah did you <laughs> you skipped over luchasaurus and ward though and the uh the tnt title i skipped over because i didn't yeah. like it but yeah <laughs> didn't like it i uh i thought the match was fine um i think obviously you gotta anytime you have the chance you gotta do the angle where everyone is just constantly waiting for the turn and clearly that's the setup here with luchasaurus and christian cage because you got christian cage being the overbearing manager who's holding the title acting like it's his i, lo I love got that. luchasaurus i mean we need it. it and if there's one thing that 
that AEW doesn't have enough of. It's will they, won't they breakups, and everyone is constantly predicting the heel turn or the turn in general, right? Like they don't, they don't, they have not done this kind of storyline enough. I will, so, uh, yeah. I, I I will say I did like the finish, um, even though you know it's just a lot of like, uh, a lot of the overbearing heel stuff that we've seen Christian do lately. But I thought the the taking away the camera from the from the photographer, yeah, and doing that because it's not something that you. That you're exactly thinking. You're thinking that Christian might get may get up there and distract him or push him or slap him, brass knuck something. But you're not thinking that like that photographer right there. It's not something that that you immediately catch visually, and you're like, oh, that photographer seems a little out of place. That's not something that like immediately catches your eye. But then like you see him grab the camera and do whatever, and it's like, oh, that was like actually like pretty cool. I liked it a lot. So, uh. I don't think I, I didn't think the match was very good. Other other, other than that, uh, it's hilarious that Luchasaurus won a single title before Jungle Boy. Like that is yeah. hilarious. Uh, but yeah, I thought the, I thought the match was whatever, but had a pretty cool finish. And then I did like Christian uh, acting like he won the title himself. I thought that was fun. So that's yeah, all, that's I, yeah, it's like I'm kind of joking about it because it feels like every fucking angle in this company is constantly like the you know teasing it and waiting for it and building suspense for that everyone sees coming turn right but but this one this one actually feels like this should be the one there's so much of this but it's like christian cage is so good in his role here luchasaurus will be perfect for his role here and like you just mentioned you've got the bigger picture thing which is the connection back to jungle boy and him wanting to get a singles title, but he can't. And then this is happening. Like all of that would be perfect, but it's just Jesus Christ. Like this style of angle is done to death in this company. It's like, we spent how many months waiting for someone in swerving our glory to turn. We've spent, people have been doing the same thing, predicting that jungle boy is going to turn heel. Like we're just there. It feels like every other fucking angle in this company is people sitting there waiting and expecting and predicting that there's going to be a turn that they're just like, constantly milking and never delivering um either way back to where you were at buddy and andrade was a match where as i was watching it i was like oh my god this is like nxt and then i was thinking about like wwe that nxt is wwe and it's big time and i was just like thinking about that and i was thinking about wrestlers that i don't think of like adam cole who i don't think of as being big time tv wrestlers because WWE did such a good job of brainwashing me as like a person who watched NXT from the beginning into not thinking of NXT as a mainstream wrestling show and just remembering that time period and how they fucking drain the indies and create. But this was such a 205 live NXT when it was good match. But like, again, you talked about the drama and the leg selling and the shoulder injury and the dealing limb work and the, and I love, love, love doing the like, the story hearkening or the, the, the moves hearkening to their significant others, the more popular women. Cause there was those time periods where like, you know, Nikki Bella couldn't wrestle without people chanting John Cena at her. And it just, just so disgusting the way that people would chant CM Punk at AJ Lee. Like it's so cool to see male wrestlers referencing their, their female partners as the bigger stars instead of, you know what I mean? Instead of it all being about like, women are just subservient to men. So I thought that was cool. But and on top of that, just being great. Um, the post-match, 
Handshake, Lights Out, House of Black, all of this. Andrade, I mean, the last times we were seeing Andrade, it felt like he was like, you know, or he was. He was part of the the group with Roosh and Jose the Assistant and Drillistico, and and they're all pretty firmly heel, but Andrade doing the post-match handshake and, and all the stuff there to have House of Black jump him, like, he feels firmly babyface here. Um, so I would assume he's not part of that group anymore. And there's people talking and there's, you know, people fantasy booking and what do you think about Andrade and Ingobernables versus House of Black on Forbidden Door? Do you think that we get something coming out of this into that? Because that would be pretty great. And the one, the thing that crossed my mind, it would be the match that I would book if it was if it was me, would be House of Black versus Andrade, Naito, and Yodosuji. But uh, what do you think? And what do you think is more likely? Because obviously it's probably more likely that it's like Bushi so he can take the loss or something. But to me, I think Andrade, that would be so awesome. But uh, what do you think about where Andrade ends up coming out of this and LIJ and and House of Black? Uh, You're right. I'm not sure that long-term Andrade is a babyface. But that was definitely an angle where it's like, that's an unresolved thing and it wouldn't make sense to just have I don't think they'd have Roosh come do babyface stuff right now. Like right. I don't like I don't think that I don't I don't believe that would happen. So uh while that while that while that is like is possible, I just don't I just don't see him going into every going into this uh and it just being like La Faction and Gobernable and him being just being what Drillistico and Preston Vance and shit. Like I just, like I just don't see that being what happens. So I think there there might be a little bit of smoke to um to maybe having him team up with um with with uh, some, with a couple Lij members um for Forbidden Door. I'm not sure who it'd be. You said Naito Naito be a good a good one. You could have Bushi there as a pen eater, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with you that at least based off this angle, that it wouldn't make sense for to just put him back with uh with uh, La Faction and Go and Gobernable right now. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think uh, I think that that's what I think. Naito it definitely is going to be part of it. I think that that's like for sure. I think it's the third person that's in question. And as I said, I think that the Yoda Suji thing would be interesting because you could play off of the storyline between him and Naito in the match and have that be part of the finish. But uh, but at the same time, like, yeah, you just have Bushi in there to eat the pin, right? Like, that would make probably the most sense. Um, one thing that crossed my mind, the Scorpio Sky thing, because, you know, and this is just like countering all the people that I hear talk about it, like Scorpio Sky, and people are like, oh my god, why does Tony like Scorpio Sky so much? Why does he keep thinking he's going to do something with this guy? He never gives up on him, he's coming back. And the one thing that that crossed my mind was that, and me and you have talked about like Tony and and pushing black wrestlers, right, in general, is that I just, I, I cannot not see that part of the reason why Tony continues to bring back Scorpio's guy and push him is that he's invested so much in him as being a black star that I think that like 
because if Scorpio Sky won like another big title, like I don't know how you could get there, but if somehow he could get over and he could win like the main title, like the heavyweight title, he would be, you know, the first black triple crown champion and would actually be one of the first triple crown champions because he's invested so much in him with having been the tag team champion, having been the TNT champion. And then he wins the main championship. And and like, to my mind, I just see the way that Tony's brain works that I just see, like, I think that he's so committed to this guy that like, he doesn't, he's, or he's invested so much in him. He doesn't want to give it up. And it's not just like, oh, he's such a big fan of him. It's like, he's invested a ton in him. And if he could make it work and if it can get over and it can like be something, then he has this really big thing that he can show like oh my god this guy was the first tag team champion oh my god this guy was like the tnt champion oh he's a triple crown champion and he's you know a black man that i pushed from the beginning from day one like you know just to be like i'm not racist like do you think i'm like completely off base there or like at least somewhat i think i'm right that tony just the reason is why he doesn't give up on scorpio's guy is not because he just absolutely loves him and thinks he's great but because He's invested so much in him that he's like doesn't want to just cut bait. I think you're right on some level that he's invested in Scorpio, but I don't think he's invested in Scorpio to the extent in which you think he could like maybe want to push him to that level. I think he's invested in Scorpio because he think because he's like been there in the company. He sees value in in him and just I think honestly just think Scorpio is good, probably. Even if like no one else thinks Scorpio Sky is as good as Tony Khan thinks he is. But I don't think he's invested him invested him in like a still trying for the main title way. I think maybe a few years ago that they were like they were they were flirt they were flirting with it and seeing if it would take, seeing if it would get over or whatever. But I don't I don't think that that's a thing that's still like honestly in Tony, in Tony Khan's mind right now. I think that he just views Scorpio as useful and uh, likes that likes likes having him. I don't I don't think it goes beyond that. That's probably fair. Um, I just, you know, I think about him having the match with Jericho and the the presentation. And as I said, that it would be very easy to have him be like, I think he honestly could still be like the first triple crown champion. I don't know if there's anybody else who would have hold held all three of the original titles, you know, or I guess the three first titles, just like the tag TNT and world champion. Um, because you could say that Kenny is a triple crown champion because he's been trios champion, but I don't know if you would, you know, count that as the original, you know, AEW triple crown or whatever. Um, but yeah. So um either way, moving on from there, Nice and Miro was fine. Miro's awesome. Uh if you have any thoughts, feel free. Yeah, nice to see Miro. Uh even like this uh Sky Blue and Willow versus the Outcast. Uh main take main takeaway. Was oh like they just like you're like you're sitting there thinking that this is gonna happen and that like Sky Blue eats the fall and the fact that's not what happened and the match is and the, and the match is fun too like I'm not like just kind of like how like solid the match was the match was pretty good but you see this on paper and you're just assuming that Sky Blue eats the fall and the fact that they had Sky Blue win and get the and get and get the pin here on Ruby is like. Just a really cool thing, and like even though the, I think they're both from Chicago, um, so it's, so it's not like a really like unbelievable, like you know, like like the uh, uh, they could have went wrong here with having either of them get the fall, but 
Yeah, like it, it was just a it was a nice little subversion from having the Sky Blue here, who we all assume is would be the fall leader, uh Willow being the New Japan strong women's champ, uh Tony being Tony being AW women's champ, and like on paper, Ruby being above Sky Blue in the pecking order that you just assume Sky Blue East to fall, but like that wasn't the case. And like it made for a pleasant surprise when like I see her I see her get the pin, I'm like, oh okay, like that was like that was cool. So it was a good match and like it was like really enhanced by the fact that Sky Blue gets the uh, got the fall there. Yeah, the crowd was really into it. Sky Blue as the hometown girl made sense to get the win, and and not even just that. Like, I think Sky Blue is really being has been set up recently to get a big time push and to really Tony is clearly behind her. And one thing this was like this match and the whole situation was going to be my jump off point to talk about the AEW. With Sky Blue that people have like anyone that I've heard talk about it has like just completely missed the boat and it's like there's a ton of other stuff that I meant to like reference about how I just think that there's older people who have just like not they're not up to it when it comes to like the way that fans and people look at things now but like everyone I've heard talk about Sky Blue on Hey EW has been like she felt awkward and bad and, and out of place and and all this and, that. and I'm like Dude, she was so with it. She was incredibly funny. She was like monotone, but she was playing her character as the straight man in the comedy duo with RJ City being the the more ridiculous one. And it was like perfect, but was like with it, with bits, had tons of jokes. Like it was crazy to me how it was just like people were so off and just did not see it because they could not get over the fact that she seemed so deadpan and so monotone that they didn't realize that she was with the jokes. Like she was making jokes, she was making quips, and she was getting everything that was happening. And it's, like, kind of the comparison that that I see with a lot of other people is, like, people talking about, like, the way wrestlers are presented now and compared to how they used to be, where I'm just, like, the, the thing that crossed my mind, it was just, like, that wrestlers used to just, like, you know, be so braggadocious and talk so well about them, talk highly about themselves and all this, and you still want that, but, like, also, like, People, younger people now kind of like someone like Hangman Page, who one thing I heard that I really agree with is like Hangman Page is the protagonist of AEW. And he kind of has been since the beginning. And we've talked about this and there's more deep to break this down. And part of the thing that younger wrestling fans who are watching AEW like about watching AEW like about Hangman Page is that like as the main wrestler of the company, he also kind of like admits that he sucks and like younger people like people who say that they suck people love self-deprecating humor and people who are honest and the depressed cowboy and all that stuff like people really like that and i think the older heads don't get that and like being deadpan and monotone and self-deprecating they like think like oh this person's awkward and they're not good at what they're doing and like i think sky blue is a really good baby face for the more modern wrestling fan and i just think that like she's really great for what she's doing and the personality comes across like again i think that people are feel awkward with it or they don't work well with it or whatever they don't understand it but it's like if you're not getting it it's kind of because you're being left behind like you know follow this up with the next segment with all the braggadociousness but i think a lot of younger wrestling fans still really that that kind of stuff speaks to them but to, again, Quentin, remember what we were talking about rambling earlier? I apologize. 
Uh, no, you're no, you're good. If you had more there, I mean, I only, only thought I had before you wanted to do whatever you were going to do is, um, I think it's funny to look back on the inception of AEW and how excited we were uh, about the prospects of Kylie Ray being on the roster. And I, th- I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that she's as good as Kylie, but I think finally, like that sort of baby face, that a baby face void that they had, like without having Kylie Ray, like I think Sky Blue actually absolutely has the potential to be the kind of figure that I think Kylie was pegged to be at yeah. that point in time. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. And Willow, similarly, is like similar in some ways, but but yeah, definitely Sky is like is prepared to fill that role. Um, after that, like I said, we get the the opposite with the braggadocious, with the acclaimed and Billy Gunn, and and this was definitely very long and didn't need to be here, but the crowd ate everything up, and I think it speaks to the thing that crosses my mind every now and then, where I I will tweet this or I'll say it, and people like take it the wrong way, where I'm like. What the fuck happened to the acclaimed? And I think people think that I'm saying like they're not over anymore and they're bad because I've actually heard people like or seen people react that way. But what I really mean is like, why are they no longer pushed? Because they come out here and do this and the crowd is eating out of the palm of their hands and going absolutely fucking crazy. Like the acclaimed should are still one of the top most overacts in the company and should still be being pushed as a top overact in the company. And it's just an absolute fucking indictment of the booking that they're not like, that's my biggest takeaway here. The segment again was like too long, pointless, whatever, but it didn't matter because the crowd was losing their mind. Uh, yeah, they definitely look like an indicator of how over the acclaim still, still are. Like, is there something there? Honestly, like, I know you're really into the, I just don't know what you do with them. I really don't like, I get that there is something there and like you want to like use it in some sort of way. And I don't know what the best way to use the acclaimed is. I think ideally it would be like FTR being heels and like you get kind of back, get back into that formula of FTR being heels and the acclaimed chasing them and like working some tags based around that. I ideally that's what sounds best to me, but like, with how things are right now, I just it, it feels weird to just have like have like a group that like have a have an act as, as over as them, and I'm like, I don't really know where they're supposed to be or what makes sense for them. Which sucks because they put in the work and they've gone organically over time. You know, over over time, they proved themselves with the tag match versus Swerving on Glory, like. They've done what they needed to do in that aspect, but like I've always said to you before, it's like it's not like they had like a continued run of just being like really great, knocking the doors off like universally loved matches. It's not like they have like these like super like revered promos or anything. It's a fun act. It's fun, and I feel like there's like room for that, but I'm not sure that ultimately there's anything that like. I'm not sure that ultimately there's anything to them that makes it all be like, oh, this is so insane or an injustice that the acclaimed isn't doing whatever, because it's like, I, I I don't know what exactly, like, I think that is that they should be doing. I, 
<laughs> I, at this point, I don't even want to like argue and get into a bunch of stuff there. But like, I don't see why the FTR have the tag team titles. If we're being perfectly honest, because you can say like, you know, they're they're fine at promos and they have good wrestling matches, but we're not seeing a ton of great wrestling matches, mm-hmm. and they haven't been doing a ton of promos. So why would this segment have not been better if the acclaimed just still had the tag team titles basically like they could still be doing this and they're doing this as the champs with the belts and the crowd is going fucking crazy and making the belts feel like they're important but instead you have the main event and ftr have the tag team titles and they feel like an afterthought and for what is for for what is worth like i'm not i'm not even i don't even the whole thing from them losing the belts to the guns and not being a way to get it to ftr like i didn't really care for that at all. And like I said, ultimately, I think what should be happening is some version of FTR and the acclaimed. Yeah. Like, I think it just is weird because FTR is in this like baby face stage of things and it's good and it works for them. And we know what they can do. We know they can be great if they're like put in like a certain, like if they're, if they're given the time, given the shine, that they can have a great match with that. But I think when you have these two teams, the version like, and they could do babyface versus babyface and like um play whatever role like you know FTR could work in control for this match and do whatever they don't have to necessarily like be heels or whatever to make this thing work but the program that's right there that makes sense is FTR versus the acclaimed and just right now it doesn't make sense so it's not that the acclaimed are doing anything wrong it's like the like the program that would that makes the most sense that would be the most like a uh, fitting for their for their style for their act for heat crowd engagement everything like could you imagine like a ftr slow-paced southern influence tag with the acclaim how much people love the acclaim like there'd be, oh, it'd yeah. be great it'd be a big thing but because ftr is in the space that they're in right now when you can feel a way about choosing to prioritize ftr over the acclaimed and whether that's the right choice or not but like i think the acclaimed are in a weird spot because the feud that makes the most sense just isn't desired or doesn't make sense right now which sucks for them but i think that's ultimately what i think the issue is well and this is like you know getting into stuff that who knows but i think the real issue comes down to the ftr belt marks and uh and they, when they were coming back after having to drop all the other titles, they wanted to have the AEW titles, you know? And so that's why they did the guns thing to transition to them because they wanted to have the titles and be the champions because their belt marks and acclaimed are not, you know, in the, not the same way where I can definitely, I would definitely assume that they don't care as much about having the titles. But I do think... And this is not me being a belt mark, but this is just me being like, you know, a pragmatist in the booking wise. I think, as I was talking about, I think that you would be better off in adding prestige to the championships by having them on the tag team that did this insane segment where the crowd is losing their fucking minds and being like, yeah, this is the, these are the champs and the crowd is loves them and is going crazy for them instead of, you know, the tag champs being again in this trios match where they felt like an afterthought. And the fact that they're champions really didn't feel like it affected this match at all. But I think this is a good, you know, transition to the main event, right? To talk about 
that the tag champs are here. And really, when this match was announced and when this match is happening, did it cross your mind? Like, oh, yeah, the FTR are the tag team champions. Did that really feel like it it affected or mattered to this match? Um, I mean, I can say for myself that I, like, I thought about it because I think that Jay White and Juice sounds like a cool match for them. I think it's like a... So, like, from that perspective, I thought about it, but, like, not super deeply. Fair. Um, the match itself, I think I, I tweeted this out, and I stand by it, that, um, you know, the baby faces were fine, but the, the heels were absolutely perfect in this match. The heel tag team, the heel team on this match wrestled a perfect, psycho- like, psychology-wise match. Like, Juice was the workhorse. Juice was in there the most. Juice was doing what he does best, and it's really what got him over. If you remember, like the thing that got Juice Robinson over in NXT, or well, in NXT too, but also in New Japan, was his in ring wrestling, right? And so, getting him out here, I know a lot of people really are. You know, the comedy people love the the rock hard thing and the voice and all that, and they think it's so cool, but. The th- but it doesn't f- he hasn't felt like a star he hasn't felt important since he's been doing all this in AEW and what really got him over was his in-ring wrestling because Juice Robinson is a great in-ring wrestler like that is just without a question he just he is so you got him doing most of the in-ring wrestling and showing off what he's good at Jay Jay was the difference maker Jay was the heat Jay was the guy who anytime that they needed to do a cutoff Anytime that they needed to, you know, train change the course of the match, Jay did some underhanded, dastardly heel shit in the in the way that he can, the best way that he can, because he's fucking Jay White and he's phenomenal at this. Would get all of the cutoffs, would get all of the underhanded heel tactics, and would transition and be the difference maker for the match. And then, boom, you tag in Joe for the big time pop legendary. You know, you want to get that that big time crowd moving aura from the fucking just the legend, the the huge thing. And every time that they changed in and out, the psychology, the way that it moved, like I said, it was just perfect. The way that they switched, there was, you know, Jay and Joe didn't spend a ton of time in the ring. They didn't do a ton of wrestling. It was always when they needed all that. Juice was taking care of it. Then when you needed a big transition, you needed some dastardly heel shit, Jay was in there. And then when you needed that big moment in the crowd to to get hot and, you know, feel like they're seeing something special, Joe was there. Like, I just thought the heel side of this was perfect. It's a long match, but again, when you have that ebb and that flow and the way that you cycle in between all of the guys in the match, it was absolutely perfect. Um, But yeah, Quentin, what did you think about, I guess, the match in, in... general and and everything i agree with you that like the real shining stars here were the heel side because they just like you like you laid it out all out there perfectly where juice is uh, juice is taking a lot taking up a lot of like the actual like work in the moves being done jay they're getting the heat and, and joe's like a special attraction um i loved when joe comes in and this is more like a usually reserved for like heels or whatever uh, you know, to react that way, but you know, like when Dax is chopping Joe and Joe just laughs it off, and when Joe chops Dax, he's reacting so much more strongly than, than Joe was when he's chopping him. Like, I love that, and I love that. Like, 
I love Joe. So it was like really cool to see Joe just continue to find ways to structure and work around his character and what he can and what he, and what he can do in a wrestling ring now because like he just doesn't have to do a lot. And I think that's a testament to just like the respect that Joe has and like the legend that Joe's become, which is kind of crazy to sit there and like see it this way. But like Joe has become someone where like he like you almost don't have to tell anybody or to explain why Samoa Joe is allowed to do that as to why Samoa Joe gets to get chopped and laugh it off. Like you don't need to explain that as to why Samoa Joe gets to do that and why that works for him. And I love that little I love that sequence there. Uh Punk looked good, you know, 10 months, 10 months off and Punk still looked, looked good. Looked pretty much the same as when he came back to, uh, wrestling and like there wasn't like a noticeable dip or anything or anything there um the ftr guys were good you know selling especially cash doing like face and peril stuff and i mentioned dax there with dax there with his joe interactions this is a really good match like i really really enjoyed it and a lot part a lot of part of that uh, a large part of that goes to the uh heel side the punk and joe stuff was really fun and like felt important i'm not sure i'm not sure that that we're going to get a whole Punk and Joe program or that it would be cool, but I'm not sure I want to see a whole Punk and Joe program, to be honest. Um, but it was, it was still a really cool and fun main event to get. And, um, you know, for Jay and Juice, who, like, have been on the programming but, like, aren't getting, like, rocket pack pushes or whatever, like, it was a good reminder, I think, for people that haven't gotten to see, like, what Jay White can be or how good Juice, Juice can be. Like, these are really good wrestlers. And honestly, like, if you give uh, FTR and Bullet Club Gold, like a, TV, like, a TV main event, like, whether it's on Collision or Dynamite or whatever, like, they'd have a really, really, really good match. And it probably wound up being one of the better AW matches of the year. Like, I truly think that because that's just four great wrestlers. So going back to your point about FTR having the belts, I think that now if we're moving into a stage where we could get FTR versus Bullet Club Gold, maybe, then, like, I think that's a really good match. Yeah, no, I mean, that is definitely a good match. You're completely correct about that. And and this does feel like, you know, all of all of the negativity that I've been saying for the past, however, you know, months or whatever, about Juice and Jay, Jay and Juice, um, not being used to their full potential this felt like okay you know actually it doesn't matter like you can just completely reset and these guys can now be presented at this level and be believed at the top of the card so it does become like okay like we can move forward with this and and that would be a great match and that would be fantastic and i and i'm kind of with you where i'm like i know it's not the only three matches that punk and joe ever had with each other but it does feel like doing anything at this point on such a big level kind of almost doesn't feel necessary because you've got the you've got that trilogy that doesn't need to have an addendum to it, you know? And they can they can do little stuff like this and they can have little interactions here and there, but they don't really need to try to add to the trilogy because even if like I said, they've had other matches against each other beyond just the, the trilogy of matches that they've had. Um you don't need to try to add to the pantheon. Like I think that the the legend of the, the Punk Joe trilogy can stay 
just that. And I think if they have any singles matches in AEW, people will try to add that to part of the the legacy of their rivalry. And I don't think it's necessary. Um, so so yeah, I, I I'm I get why a lot of people are excited about the idea, but I also can see like a weird pragmatic pragmatist way of saying like it's not necessary and almost like it shouldn't happen, right? Because it'll just it honestly, there's no way that they can have a match now that can that can you know live up to that to that standard. Um, Quentin, you want to do a quick Forbidden Door uh, preview review hype thing because there's not a ton of matches to talk about and there's not a ton to talk about. What do you think? Um, I mean, so far it was the two it was the two main events and. They advertise MJF and Tanahashi, um, which and I was Sonata thinking Jack Perry, Jack yeah, Jack Perry and Sonata. Yeah, that is yeah. a thing. That is a thing. Yeah. Um, I mean that match exists. Like another thing, it'll, it'll probably be like mechanic. Mechanically, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a mechanically yeah. like good match. I just who fucking cares. Um, but I did think it was like a cool idea that. You like what if you did advertise MJF and Tanahashi and Tanahashi and MJF was like, nope, not doing it, not showing up. Yeah, and that uh, you just did CM Punk versus Tanahashi instead, which yeah. like, you know, you're, it's CM Punk and Tanahashi, and you feel like and that's a thing that you probably should announce ahead of time that it, CM Punk will be on a card so you can sell more tickets if it's not sold out already, which I'm pretty sure it it's is. Already sold out. Yeah, you know, like so, like from that perspective, it'd be like a waste of a CM Punk booking, I guess you could say, but like. I think it's a I think it's a really cool I think it's a really cool idea uh to do that and just have it be CM Punk versus Tanahashi instead. I think it'll wind up still being MJF Tanahashi and like it'll be fun with some comedy with some comedy stuff and MJF will get will, will get will get his win there and like it'll probably be pretty good but like I do I do like the idea of MJF just I'm not doing it not showing up and you do CM Punk versus Tanahashi instead. I think that's a cool idea. Yeah. I love that idea, and it actually plays into my initial kind of thought on this because people were saying like, "Oh, how do you have a non-title or non-AEW title match main event here? How do you have you know any of these other matches like as the main event? How do you not go with Brian and Okada as the main event? Whatever." And I did think that like teasing the no show was the way that you did it in storyline, right? Is you have. We don't MJF's not in the building. We can't get him here, blah blah blah, whatever. And that's why they just keep not doing that match until the end of the show. And they're like, okay, well, you know, we can't hold this off any longer. This is the last match. Whatever, Tanahashi comes out, and then you do the like you tease the count out, and MJF just no shows, he's not there. Um, and my you know, my idea for that is not MJF gets counted out, but that MJF shows up and then you have the match, right? But if you do the same angle and then instead of the count out, you have punk come out and then you do punk and Tanahashi and you play off of again, punk like saying I'm the uncrowned champion because I'm doing the match. The champion was supposed to be doing here and he wins the match, right? Like it plays into that. It pl- makes sense why it's the main event, even over matches that everyone else thinks should be the main event. So that was kind of my thought on that. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, like that. It works both ways. And I think it would be honestly pretty perfect. Um, so, yeah, I think that they should do something like that. Um, I don't know if we have a ton to add to Danielson Okada other than, you know, 
the greatest of all time and just and okada yeah, we, yeah <laughs> having we, a match we, finally yeah. yeah we talked we talked about those matches kenny and osprey uh okada my, we talked about, we talked oh, about those enough my uh my one question with okada or with omega and osprey is no matter what happens on forbidden door let's say they kind of go with what i my belly tells me is osprey wins wins the title do you think that with them still trying to sell tickets for Wembley, because I've heard people kind of say like, oh, we'll do the third match, Omega versus Osprey 3 uh, at All Out in Wembley. Do you think that the third match between them like draws? Do you think that's a draw to do the yeah. third number three? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Why not? Think why so? would... yeah. I, don't, I don't know why I don't know why it wouldn't. Especially I, like... I don't... Go ahead. Like... Yeah, there's always diminishing returns with things, but I feel like you you, you take it you take it to three different markets, which is how that how that stuff works. So you do it in um yeah. they do for Bender last year, Chicago or that was Chicago, right? Yeah. So you well, do no, it in their Chicago. last match was at their last match was um oh no, do Japan, no, do Japan. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't think it was, it was at, at, last year. Yeah, it was at yeah, like, Kingdom, you do it, so it was Japan. Like, yeah, like you can watch the matches, but like yeah, like you it's done. It was in it was in Japan. It's in Canada, and then in and I think it. I think it'll just draw because you're taking it to like three, like to- yeah. three totally different markets. Um, yeah. On top of that, like if the, if the match is still incredible and gets the same amount of buzz and hype, then and um, depending on how it ends and they do stuff like that, I don't see. I don't see why it wouldn't. Um, again, like you would still need some major stuff attached to it. Um, if that's going to be like a CM Punk versus MJF rematch, if that's going to be like FTR versus the Bucks. Um, Whatever else you want to add there, like you would need more still, but yeah, I don't, I don't know why you add that. And like, I think I would, I think it's a match people are interested in. It's the new hot series going around, and I think that people are going to be interested to see it. So I don't see why not. I think that you do fear the fear the diminishing returns, but I think I'm confident enough in them to have a match that people like receive well and love, and then want to see again in person when they get their chance that I think it works still. Yeah, that was like kind of something that just crossed my mind within the past like couple of hours here where I thought about it. And I was like, yeah, you're going back to that match for a third time. Cause in my head, my initial idea was like, that would, that's what makes sense. Osprey wins at forbidden door and you do the third match at Wembley. Um, but then it was kind of like, ah, is it, is that running this match too much? Cause you're doing it three times within a year. But but as you said there, you know, we talked about Punk and, and Joe, you know, there's these trilogies that can happen within a year and they can be phenomenal matches. So it's not it's not crazy. It's not necessarily saying it's going to be bad. And then the um, the last thing, and this is just something that, you know, came across my mind. And, and in a couple of days, I'll be proven right or wrong or whatever, but we'll see where it goes is, uh, you know, the Osprey or not Osprey, uh, Orange Cassidy versus Zack Sabre Jr., um international title match that everyone seems to assume is booked it's not quite booked yet they have a tag team match coming up on dynamite in a couple days here um and this is where the thought crossed my mind because they're doing orange cassidy shibata who is the roh pure champion uh versus zach saber jr and daniel garcia one thing that crossed my mind was doing a four-way so they end up because we talked about it before where I was like they already have 
these four big singles matches. I don't necessarily think we need any more singles matches. So rather than doing Osprey, or rather, I keep doing this, rather than doing Saber and Orange in a singles match, they do a four-way with Shibata and Garcia. Um, the other thing that crossed my mind is doing something along those lines, but doing Saber's match, or Saber's title is on the line for the first 15 minutes because he's the um, IWGP television champion that has a 15 minute time limit and then beyond that the international title is on the line right and i just thought about the connection there to the pure title because when they were first doing the danielson versus nigel pure title and roh title unification matches they did a a similar stipulation where uh the pure title was only on the line for the first 30 minutes because of the time limit and then Danielson won the match and they kind of did the tease with the crowd where they expected that Danielson unified the titles, but he had not because it wasn't within the time limit for the pure championship. And I don't know if you remember that, but you probably do, of course. But so I just think that paying homage to the pure championship and then having Shibata, who is the pure champion involved in the story, just made that make more sense to me. So I really do think that's where they end up going with this where they do a, you know, a unified match, but because Zach's title is only 15 minutes, the match goes longer than 15 minutes. So his title is no longer on the line. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, I think that it just being a Zach title match works better for like match length on a show, like forbidden door though. When like, it's so stacked already that like, I think being confined to a 15 minute match just works better like i get i get your thinking there for sure and like i think it'd be a cool way to incorporate all these different things but i i feel like the uh tv title aspect of things just like is more conducive to the show i feel like yeah i could definitely see that but they could also still go like you know 16 minutes or whatever like they could go like only a little bit over 15 minutes yeah yeah, yeah for sure so and i just think that tony that's the thing is like anytime you look at stuff, if it's something that could be like a reference to, you know, 2000s ROH, like Tony's going to do it. So I just I just I thought about that. And I was like, oh, yeah, they did the same thing. With the unified matches, so I could imagine him doing the same thing here um, anyway. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before we head out? Because I feel like we've been going long enough at this point. Uh, no, we're good here. You can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim at ROH Dutch. You can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN. And if you're feeling that so kind, so you could donate to us on coffee. And um, I, I, I don't know. We, we could. Uh, do you want Coca Bana's phone? Do you want Coca Bana's emails? Or just like a, <laughs> we, 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 do, what is we, emails? Yeah, we, yeah, we can get Coca Bana's emails. Um, lock him up. I don't know. Whatever. Um, but that's it. But that's it for us. Uh, thank you all for listening, and hope you hear next time. I don't know why these niggas want beef. Yeah, bro, I just want peace. I just wanna smoke my weed. I just wanna sip my lean. I just wanna pop my pills. I don't gotta rob and steal. I don't cop shit. I deal. Got Kush, got shrooms, got pills. Yeah, bro, I can't trust a bitch. Can't cuff, cause I know you gon' switch. I don't give a fuck about shit I'm emo so I cut wrists Feel better when I see blood drip Can't kiss cause I know you suck dick 
And I ain't tryna catch no shit Without a kind of bitch I can't go in I sip lean pop pills, rose blips I like my girl, no ass, no tits She on Tumblr, looking like a spliff Eat shrooms and I'm going on trips Shrooms, ah Eat shrooms and I'm going on trips Eat shrooms and I'm going on trips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, nigga, track shit. Star Trek. I'm laced up off that vodka and that, that Robitussin. You feel me? I'm in my feelings. Fuck life. Give a fuck about cash. I wanna smoke and rap. I don't gotta tow no gats. I don't gotta tow no strap. I wanna smoke that thrax. I wanna roam the map. I wanna see Berlin. I wanna see her tits. Got more pills than nurses. I'm a pharmacy, I'm serving. What a nigga wanna purchase. Cut for me, man, I swear it's worth it. It's worth it. I ain't got a job, but I'm working. I ain't got a car, but I'm swerving. Skinny jeans, but I'm not jerking. Make a bitch love me on purpose. My cush comes straight from the furnace. One hit, how your throat burning. I'm the bomb boy, I need a turban. My dick in and out her lips. She hella wet like we surfing. I stay in the cut lurking. My respect, man, you gotta earn it. Lucky if a nigga heard this I'm hella sad bro, I feel worthless I smoke hash without a purpose I snort pills, got my nose burning I sip lean, mix it with the burnet High vocab, but I'm cursing High vocab, but I'm cursing I don't give a fuck, man I got the vocabulary of a college graduate But I'm still cursing, bitch Yeah, 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 yeah. It's young, bruh. It's young, bruh. Yeah, it's young, bruh. It's young, bruh. Yeah, yeah. Star Trek, bruh. Shouts out to the Star Trek, man. What? Shouts out Chai T. You feel me? Shouts out DTB. Shouts out Genesee, bitch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.